Let's lift our hands and pray in the Holy Spirit for a few minutes. Just begin to pray in tongues right now. If you pray in the Holy Spirit, just lift your hands and fill this place with prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Father, we pray for a wave of prayer, the anointing of prayer. He who prays in tongues edifies himself. Oh, Father, speaks mysteries to God. Thank you, Lord. Father, we connect with heaven, heaven's plan, heaven's will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done in this place as it is in heaven. Not our will be done, but your will be done. We invite you to come, Lord. We invite you to come and to change us. Change us, Lord. Change us today. We need a fresh encounter with Jesus, the Son of God. Knowing the Son, we want to know you more, Lord. We want to experience you today, Lord. We want to have an encounter with you today, Lord. Come and change us, Lord. Lord, break out the superficiality and the religious just exterior, Father. Get into the heart, Lord. Get into the heart, Father God. Now lift your hands right now, and I want you to just begin to pray for people to be saved during the Easter production. And as we're going to pray, I want you to pray fervently, because the Bible says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Hallelujah. So for these two minutes, just begin to, begin to raise your voice in this place right now. And begin to ask God, Lord, we want to see souls saved during this Easter time. Two weeks, Father God, this Easter production, Father, this is your life. Lord God is going to give a presentation of people's lives, Lord, heaven or hell. And Lord God, we want people to be saved, Father. We want you to anoint this drama in the name of Jesus. And not just to anoint the drama, but anoint the witness that's going on. The invitations that are going out, Father. The conversations about God, Father. Oh God, we pray you'll anoint our lips with salt, Lord. That we can be salt in the earth, Lord. Anoint our voice to be light, Lord God, out there in a dark world, Father, bringing people home to God. Lord, we cry out for souls to be saved. We cry out for opportunities, Father, for witness, Lord. We pray for friends to be saved, family members to be saved, work colleagues, people we know and people we don't know, Father God. We ask you for divine appointments. We ask you to do something in our lives, Father, that brings someone closer to you. In the name of Jesus, we as a church, we stand together to see salvation in London, Lord, salvation in this city, Father God. You call us London and the world for Christ, Father. And we ask you, stir us up, Lord God. Stir us up today, Father. Help us to step out of our comfort zone, to step beyond our fear, Lord, to stir our faith, Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, and to expect you to use us, Lord. Father, we just want to thank you in advance for the people that were saved last time during this drama. Over 100 people responded to you. And we say again, Lord, do it again. Do it again, Father. Do it again, Lord, this Easter time, Father. And let Easter time be a springboard of soul winning this whole year. That every cell that's only got a few members will be full, Father. Let them have the testimony. Think, wow, I was struggling a little bit, but look at how many people the Lord has given me. Father, we ask you, fill every group in this house. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Let's give Jesus praise. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to turn in your Bibles today to Galatians chapter 6. We're talking today about the offense of the cross. The offense of the cross. How many people were aware of the British Airways lady who was told she couldn't wear a cross? 
you. Thank God that you won the, the case in the European Court. So we thank God for that. But there's an attack on the cross. Why? Today, because people are offended at the cross. If you look in your Bible today, you'll know that people were offended during Jesus' time. And how, how difficult it is to win an offended person. We all have people who are offended in our families. People who are bitter, difficult situations. And often if you bring up that situation in your family, it can op often end in a riot or an argument. Why? Because that offense is still there. And so it is today when you share the gospel. Have you ever wondered why people in the world don't accept Christ? Where it's difficult. Where as soon as you mention the name of Jesus, they say, hey, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, stop preaching at me. Hang on a minute, don't, don't mention Jesus. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. Why? Because the cross is an, a, it's an offense to this world. So that makes it difficult. But also the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is the power of God. It's the cross. That's God's answer. God's answer for mankind. So when we preach the cross, when we proclaim the cross, it's a supernatural experience. When we preach it, supernatural new creation theology takes place and somebody's life is transformed. So it's an offense to this world. Let's go, turn to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And Paul was writing here and saying, listen, we shouldn't boast in anything else. There's a lot of boasting going on in Christianity these days. Boasting because of success, and even ourselves in our soul groups, we can boast because we've led people to Christ, or boast because we're laying hands on people and seeing them healed. We can boast about the things that we're doing. And that's what Paul was trying to address there. People were boasting in circumcision, boasting in different things. But Paul was saying, hey, we shouldn't boast in anything else. What we should be boasting in is the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you today that even in society, and Colin mentioned it this morning, you know, should we be having celebrations about the hundreds of thousands of people that have been led to Christ and all the success in ministry, or should we be more humble, be more of a servant? There's different approaches to our Christian faith, but Paul was saying here, we definitely shouldn't be proud, and we definitely should get back to the cross. Now, let's turn over to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 11. Now, in preparing this message today, I, I, I was thinking about the offense of the cross, and I thought to myself, my God. Have I lost the revelation of the cross for myself? Because it seems that only at Easter time is the time, or the running up to Easter time is the time where we mention the cross. The time where we're in the period of Lent and we're moving up in, in religious church and we're thinking about the cross and we're thinking, oh, let's have conversations about the cross. And often in KT, we've had big celebrations about the cross and then suddenly after that, we've stopped sharing our faith or we've stopped mentioning the cross. Only the people who are now fanatic about evangelism are sharing about the gospel. But for the rest of us in the church, we've stopped sharing the cross. And uh, Paul says in Galatians 5 and verse 11, and this is where we get this term, the offense of the cross. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. Now, in this passage of Galatians, why were they offended? It was the Judaizers who were offended at Paul's presentation of free grace. It was these Judah, they, what were they saying? They were saying, listen, what's important, yes, accept Christ, but also you need to be circumcised. And in that, they were offended because they were saying, hey, we can't stop being Jewish. We've got to continue to still be Jewish and be circumcised, but at the same time, we'll embrace the cross. So there's this battle going on. And why was it? It was because they were offended. They were offended that the cross challenged the, their identity. They refused to change. And Colin was saying it this morning, 
as well, that people who get saved, sometimes they have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Why? Because they're offended. The cross says, listen, you need to change. You need to change your life. You need to change your lifestyle. You need to cross over. And Paul was saying that's why the offense of the cross is there. Now, what does the word offense mean? If you take a note, the Greek word offense is the word scandalon. It was a scandal. That's how it was. In, if you read the book of Acts and the Gospels, it was a scandal that Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Son of God. They wanted to make him king. And they were offended at him. That's why they put him on the cross in the first place. And when he rose again on the third day and his disciples decided to preach the cross and the resurrection, again, they were offended, the people of Jerusalem. So the offense, offense means scandal. And what does it mean? A stick for bait, a general snare, a stumbling block, or an offense, a stumbling block. I want you to write down that word stumbling block and turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this is our main verse for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the dispute of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. There we are again, an offense, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Any foolish things here today? We're all foolish, hallelujah, all weak. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the mighty. And the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, that the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. I was listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones on this message about the offense of the cross, and he said, there's two types of people who will be here today. Number one, those who are offended at the cross. Anybody offended at the cross today? Those who are offended at the cross, and those who glory in the cross. Now, thank God, I've got the job of sharing today about the offense of the cross. That's not necessarily the good news. It's to, to really realize out there that people are offended. But next week, thank God, Dudley's going to come and he's going to share about the glory of the cross. What Christ has done for you and how he set you free. And how Colin was mentioning this morning about glory and in Christ. Now, let's go through a few scriptures on what the cross is. The cross, there's two Greek words about the cross. And Jesus said them. Number one, he said on the cross, it is finished, which is the word tetelestai. And that simply means that it is paid in full on the cross. Your sin and my sin were paid in full on the cross. That means you're completely forgiven by God. When Jesus was on the cross, that was one of the last words he said, it is finished. Your debt was paid in full. And there's another Greek word, agorazo, which means that 
to be bought back in a slave market. You are bought back at the cross. You are bought back to God. You are bought back. Literally, you are a slave to sin. And you are brought back and you are bought back in Christ. Jesus, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. What does that mean? It means that in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice a lamb or a goat. And as they sacrificed that lamb to God, that blood would atone for the sins of the people. And in the same way, Jesus has atoned for your sin. That means you're right with God. He says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that Christ, the wisdom of God, has become our righteousness. So right now, you are perfect. Tell your neighbor you're perfect, amen? Which means you're righteous. You're righteous. You're perfect. Now, not in yourself are you perfect. You're perfect in Christ. You're righteous in Christ. You're now in right standing with God. That's what Christ has done on the cross by becoming the atoning sacrifice. Now, I like where, where Reinhard Bonker says this. Reinhard Bonker calls the cross a roadblock. Hallelujah. A roadblock. That means that everybody was on their way to hell. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone was lost. Every man has turned to his own way, following his own rules. But Christ became a roadblock. He became a roadblock on that road to hell. Hallelujah. So that everybody who believes in him should turn around and go back the other way, go back to heaven. Hallelujah. That's what Christ came to be, a roadblock to give people a second chance. Isaiah chapter 53 says, Surely he has took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken by God, afflicted. He was bruised by our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus became sin. That is an offense to this world. How can one man be punished for everybody else, they say. That's the wisdom. That's the Greeks. How can one man surely be sacrificed for someone else? Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For his written curses, everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. And then Colossians 2, verse 14 and 15. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them. So the cross is, number one, paid for every sin in our life. Every requirement of the law was paid for on the cross. Isn't that good news? Every requirement that God requires was paid for on the cross. The seven things that I want to share with you right now that Jesus said upon the cross. Number one, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So there's forgiveness. When Jesus finally accomplished paying the price for your sins, he said, Father, forgive them. Number two, we already said it. It is finished. Your debt was paid in full. Number three, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was absolutely father forsaken on the cross that you could be accepted, that you'll not be alone anymore. Why? Because Jesus was forsaken. Number four, he said, mother, take your son. Son, take your mother. Jesus is caring for family. Even when he's in pain up on the cross, he cares for families. He cares for you. He cares for I. Today, you'll be with me in paradise, the thief on the cross. When there was an argument taking place between two thieves on the cross and one was cursing Jesus and the other one remembered who Jesus was. And he said, Jesus, remember me, remember me. And Jesus said, you know what? I'll remember you. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. 
Jesus was thinking about heaven upon the cross. He was thinking about the final destination for you and I upon the cross. Number six, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus said, no one takes my life. I give it up of my own accord. I give it up. Colin was sharing this morning that as Christians, we should give up our lives for the sake of other people. We should serve other people. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to serve. No one takes my life. I give up my life. He gave up his spirit. And number seven, I thirst. He needed a drink just before he went to heaven. The cross is the test of our faith. What we believe about the cross will determine our destination in eternity. What we believe about the cross. Mark Driscoll says this, the atoning death of the bloody Jesus rising above the plane of human history with a mocking crown. Thorns is that he is offensive in an attractive way. It is the utter horror of the cross that cuts through the chatter, noise, and nonsense of our day to the riveting our attention, shuts our mouth, and compels us to listen to an impassioned dying man who is crying out for the forgiveness of sins and asks why he suffers. I want you to turn in your Bibles again and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Number one today, as I share with you guys, number one, the Jews. The Jews were offended at the cross. The Jews were offended at the cross. 1 Corinthians 18 and verse 22. For the Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. Number one, why were the Jews offended at the cross? Number one, ideals. They were idealistic. What were they looking for? They were looking for a reigning king. That's what they were looking for in the Messiah. A conquering warrior. Somebody, a Messiah, who would bring world dominion. That's what they were looking for. So when Jesus turned up being a king, but also being a humble servant, it didn't fit into their idealism. They wanted to make him king. In John chapter 6, and what did Jesus do? He walked away from them. Why? Because Jesus was king by royal birth, but also he was a humble servant. He didn't want to draw attention to, to himself. So they were idealistic. What they wanted was world dominion. They were looking for a sign. Turn over to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, and verse 39. And you see where the Jews were asking Jesus for a sign. They were asking him for a sign because that's what they wanted. Prove to us that you're the Messiah. Prove to us. That's what the Jews were asking for. We need a sign. It's not enough to believe in the cross. We want a sign. We want a sign. And Jesus, then here in verse 38, then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Think about this verse for a few moments. Hang on a minute. Jesus had already done a lot of signs. He'd raised the dead. He'd opened the eyes of the blind. He told parables. He preached. He delivered people. He cast out demons. What kind of sign were these people looking for? They were looking for a sign that he's king, that he's going to rule, that he's going to overtake the Roman Empire, that he's going to do something for them. Because when they could do something for them, if he could do something for them, then they would believe in him. They say, well, if you're going to be king, if you're going to be the president, if you're going to rule, then we'll believe in you. But Jesus said to them, but he answered and said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign will be given to accept the sign of Jonah, the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed a greater than Solomon is here. 
What was Jesus saying? The only sign that you will see is that somebody is giving up their life. Jonah gave up his life to preach to Nineveh eventually when he repented. Jesus, in the same way, was saying, I'm going to give up my life. That's the sign that you're going to see. You're going to see the sign of the cross. When the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's the only sign that you'll see to prove that I'm the king. That's the only sign that you're going to see. So they were looking for a sign. But when they saw the cross, they were offended at the cross. How do you know this? That the Pharisees who arrested Jesus and falsely accused him on the cross, they were saying, come, come down. Come down from the cross and we will believe in you. Come down now from the cross and we will believe in you. What was it again? Ideals. It was their ideal. If Jesus could prove that he was God, that he could prove that he's the king to their ideals, then they would believe in him. They wanted a sign because it didn't fit with their theology and how it is today. Often in our popular preaching, and this is not a popular topic, people don't want to hear about the cross today, do they? It's not in our, it's not in our 10, the top 10 series of the cross. It's not popular to say, you need to die to yourself. You need to fall at the feet of Jesus. Not, not often do we teach about humility. I mean, Joyce Meyer might teach about godly character and somewhere in there, there might be humility. But often in our world right now on Christian TV, not a lot of people are preaching about the cross. Why? Because it's not a popular th a thing to share. Only maybe at Easter time in certain times. Number two, they were offended. Why? Because Jesus became a curse. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, but he who is hanged is cursed by God. They say, how can a Messiah, how can somebody who's the Messiah die on the cross? He's a curse. I'm not going to believe in someone who's cursed. That's why they were offended. Galatians 3 says Christ became a curse for us that the blessing of Abraham may come upon the Gentiles. So he became a church, a, a curse. And number three, the cross challenged their identity. Their identity. They had to leave their religion. They were not willing to leave their religion. Jesus said there's a new way. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end it leads to death. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That was the cross. He was saying, if you don't believe the cross, then you're not going to go to heaven. If you don't believe the cross, the cross is a demarcation line in the sand. It's saying, listen, will you cross over and believe in the cross? Or will you remain on the other side, going to hell? You need to believe in the cross. You need to believe what Christ did. Believe that he rose again, because in Romans chapter 10, it says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, and you will be saved. To believe that he was raised from the dead is to believe that, number one, he died. Now, right now, there's a challenge about the cross. That British Airways woman, what is that? It's a symbol of what is happening prophetically in the nations right now. There's a big debate. Think about it. Two billion Muslims don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. Another two billion Catholics and Christians are having debates about the cross and whether Christ is Messiah, whether he's not, whether Mary is God. All this debate about religion in the light of the new pope. The Catholics are getting a lot of media attention. There's, there's a wrestling going on. And then bring in the atheists and the humanists who, who are offended at the cross. There's a war going on right now. And we as Christians, we need to be sure about our faith in the cross. Amen. We need to be sure about our cross. We need, we need to be persuaded. The Jewish people weren't looking for Jesus to die on the cross. Islam is offended. BA is offended. Atheism, atheism is offended at the cross. Now, when I'm evangelizing some of my family members, I've said this before, people don't want to talk about Jesus. People don't want to talk about Jesus. But the number one question is, who is Jesus in society? 
There's a battle going on. I talk to my family members about Christ. They say, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Why do they say that? Because they're offended. They're offended by religion. They're offended at Jesus. Why? Because Jesus confronts them about their sin. And this is number two, the Greeks. The Greeks. Let's turn back over to 1 Corinthians. Now, how many people have been following Colin's series on the Corinthians? Have you been enjoying it? If you've not been following that and you come to the 2.30 service, I want to encourage you to get um, those uh, CDs and audio CDs. Why? Because at the beginning of this year, I was seeking God for a word. And uh, I don't know about you, but I just got to the point where I was tired. Anybody tired of new series and new gadgets, new entertainment to bring people to church and all that kind of thing? Thank God for that. Thank God we can attract people to church through entertainment and through different things. But I want people to come to church because they want to study about the Word of God. I want people to come to church for Jesus, not because the worship's good. And thank God the worship is good. And the worship's improving in, in, in KT and in other churches. But I want them to come to, to church for Jesus. And I, I started coming before God and said, God, what do you want me to do? And I went upstairs to my bedroom and I got Corinthians. God uses the weak things of this world. That's, I shared this last time. And I thought, you know what I'm going to, I want to study. The, before even I heard that Colin was doing it, I, I, I said, I'm going to study the book of Corinthians. I want to find out about what the war was, the battle of theology happening in the Corinthian church. And then Colin turned up in the primary 12 and said, you know what, God's being speaking to me. We're going to study about Corinthians. So I know that right now, why? Because there's a battle going on for society. There's a battle going on for the minds of people in society. And it was the same, why? Because in the church in the book of Corinthians, there was a battle going on. Those who are following Jesus, those who are believing in the cross, why? Because that's what Paul wrote. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Why? Because these people who are Greek philosophers were invading the church and they were saying, hey, don't worry about the cross. Don't worry about being a fanatic. Don't worry about believing those things. And they were trying to persuade the Christians to follow another religion or another way. And Paul had to write these things to them. He had to write these, these passages of Scripture to them to correct them, to put them back online. And I think it is today, right now, that the church needs to be back online with the cross. Amen? The, ch the church, in our lives, are we cross-centered as Christians? Are we cross-centered? And how do we know whether we're cross-centered, whether we're hanging on that cross? Now, Sean, bring that cross up. I got Sean to bandage this cross together. Let's give Sean a hand as he comes right now. Thank you. Now, I don't know if I'm going to finish this message, but just stand back there. Here, this scripture here. Verse 22. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. Foolishness. Why were the Greeks offended at the cross? Why were the Greeks offended at the cross? Here, there's a quote by J.P. Parsons that I got. To the Gentiles, the image of learning, virtue, and strength as the path of attaining wisdom, and therefore regarding the idea, God dying on the cross as the uttermost foolishness. Furthermore, the Greek mind glorified the autonomous use of reason to discern a world of order and perfection. God was understood as a divine mind and an unmoved mover and a philosophical construct that gave order and purpose to the universe. 
The very thought that the Creator would require the torture of an innocent man to atone for the sins of others was regarded as immoral, indecent, and ultimately preposterous. That was their mindset. They, they heard about the cross. They heard about this Messiah. They heard about Jesus, who is God, dying on the cross. And they thought, what utter foolishness. What utter foolishness. And that was the battle that was going on in the Corinthian church. They would say, why should we believe the cross? We don't believe in a God who died on the cross. That's utter foolishness. Why? Because the Greeks put their confidence in men's wisdom. They were building their life on men's opinions, on men's wisdom, not on the wisdom of God. Remember in the book of Corinthians, God has made foolishness the wisdom of this world. I think Colin about four or five weeks ago preached on this passage about the wisdom of men and the wisdom of God. As Christians, we need to build our lives on the wisdom of men, not on experience. I mean, not on wisdom of men, but on the wisdom of God. Not on experience, but on the wisdom of God. There was a battle for the minds of the Corinthians. Philosophy of the age had gotten inside the church and a group of wise men were driving people away from the cross. In the book of Galatians, in chapter 3, you read this. Who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you that you've turned so easily from the cross? Who has bewitched you? That's ever happening today. The cross is a cruel suffering that Greek minds can't take. They say, I'm not going to believe in a weak God. I'm not going to believe in a weak God. And so it is right now. We're to preach the cross into society Colin started at the beginning of this year about saying we've got to break strongholds, the strongholds in people's minds. Why? Because Greek people believe in the strength of the mind. They can't get into their mind that God would come and God would put his Messiah on the cross. They can't get that into their mind. Therefore, we need to pray that their blinded mind would be removed. And how is their blinded mind going to be open to God? The only way that their blinded mind is going to be open to God is by preaching the cross. Why did I say that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So what was he saying? He was speaking to Greek people. He was saying the God of this age has blinded the Greeks because they're so into their mind, they can't understand the gospel. But in chapter 3, it says, whoever turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Whoever turns away to the cross, whoever turns to God, the veil is taken away. So the Greeks were offended. Number 3, the cross condemn, condemns the world. Let's turn over to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18. Go right there, Sean. Good. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18. The cross condemns the world. Why? Because it says to the world, you have got to change. You've got to change. People don't like being told what to do, do they? Anybody like being told what to do? People don't like being, it's not popular. It's not popular to tell somebody you're in sin and you're away from God. That's not popular. What is popular right now is love wins. Everything will be all right. It'll all be all right. God loves you anyway. That's what's popular. So the cross is not popular. The cross that says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The preaching of the cross is the power of God. This is not popular. Why? Because of the pride of man. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's the world. So the cross, what does it do? It attacks man's pride. 
It attacks man's pride. It says, hey, you need to change. You need to turn away from what you're doing and you need to turn around and focus back on the cross and follow Jesus. I don't wanna do that. That's attacking the world. The world has to change. It shows that the world that is in sin and it needs a savior. Have you heard this statement that people say, I don't wanna turn to God because it's like a crutch. I don't need, to, I don't need a crutch. I don't need something to rely on. Well, the, the cross is basically saying, you are helpless without the cross. There's only one way to heaven. It's through the cross of Christ. If you're to be forgiven, it's through the cross of Christ. There's only one way. That's through the cross. That's not popular. People say, well, no, there's not one way. There's many ways. Ever heard that? No, there's no truth. They're all different types. You can believe what you want. No, you need to believe one thing. That's the cross. You need to believe in Jesus. That's what you need to believe in. So it challenges man to turn from sin. It challenges his independence. His independence. It challenges his theology. Now, in the, in the cell vision, I wish that everybody was so easy to disciple. Ever wish that? But, but how it is right now, that the, when you talk about discipleship, you gotta talk about the cross. Isn't it? You can't talk about discipleship without talking about the cross first. And oh, how we don't like the cross. Because I have to tell you, Sean, you need to get on the cross. And you're gonna tell me, I don't wanna get on the cross. Because the cross is painful. The cross tells you you gotta repent of your sins. For a Christian who's not a disciple, usually that person is a church attender with the label that it says they're Christian. And they've made a deal with God. I'll come to church at nine or 11. I'll go to this church and then maybe after six months, I'll go to that church and I'll skip around. I'll, I'll live the way that I want. What is that? Greek theology. I'm my own God. I'm responsible for my own life. If I can say the word illegalitarian, did I say it right? Colin's been saying that word. What is that? Everybody's responsible for their own life. Don't tell me what to do. I'm living my own life. I came to London to be a businessman. I came to London for a career. I came to London because I've got dreams. Therefore, don't tell me about the cross because if you tell me about the cross, I've got to change. Perhaps my dreams are not going to happen because God might not want me to achieve those dreams. He might want me to get on the cross and die to my dreams and start to follow him and be a disciple. I don't want to do that. It condemns the world. It challenges the independence of mankind. Man has turned away in Genesis 3. What did it look good? It looked good on the outside for Eve to take the fruit. And since that fall of mankind, each man has turned to his own way. So don't be surprised out there when we evangelize that people are following their own way. And don't be surprised if you're a cell leader that people even in the church, they just want to follow their own way. I, I find sometimes I feel like I'm kicking people. Kicking people to follow Jesus. God's not called me to kick people. That's like kicking, kicking stubborn mules. Kicking the donkey ministries. Every week in the cell, are you coming to cell? Are you coming to cell? Are you coming to cell? And, and if you're a cell leader, you've got more than five or six, seven people, you can be like, they're getting into that. God's not called us to do that. God has called us to disciple people who want to be discipled. If anyone desires, anyone desires, let him take up his cross and follow me. That word fellow, Colin talked about it before. You can get it on the internet, fellow, meaning people who have a passion. People who have a passion. People who have a passion to follow Christ are easy to disciple. But they say, hey, oh, Christian, I wanna go on the cross. Oh, that's easy, you wanna go, I'll help you. 
There, go on the cross. I'll put you there. Oh, this is great. I just want to sacrifice my life for Jesus. How easy. Right, come down from the cross. You're going to be resurrected with the power of God. And when they're resurrected, they go out and they make a difference for God. That's what discipleship's all about. But if the person doesn't go on the cross first, it's very difficult to disciple them. Because you're trying to disciple someone's flesh. Someone who's got a contract and they say, well, I've joined your cell group, but I'm not going to attend three weeks from now. And then I'm on holiday. Then I've got a business session here. Then you'll be looking to see me over the six-week holiday break. Then I'll be back in September. What is that? That's a deal. That's a Greek theology. That's someone who's making their deals with God. Someone who says, who's a real disciple, will basically say, you know what? Do you want me to serve? What do you want me to do? Oh, this morning I got Sean to, um, what did I get you to do? Dust the pulpit. He didn't complain. But someone who, who's not on the cross could easily say, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. That's a worthless job. Why? I want to preach. I want to be seen. Why, the flesh is manifesting, isn't it? Because people don't want to do certain little, little tasks. But a person is on the cross, so the cross offends the flesh, number four. It offends the flesh. Jesus said in Luke 14, verse 33, if you want to be my disciple, you must forsake all. Everybody say all. 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 Hallelujah. You know, that's my favorite word. It's difficult sometimes when you don't want to follow God to give your all. I've been down there. Some of you might have been down there on your knees. Oh, God, all to you, Jesus. I surrender. You know what? Three weeks later, it's not all anymore, is it? There's difficulties, there's trials, there's tests, there's difficult situations that you're going through. The cross crucifies our ego. Ouch. Galatians 5 and verse 24. I don't know about you, but going through this mess, like I said, we all need to get before the cross again. We all need to humble ourselves before the cross again. So embrace Jesus, the suffering servant. Something of the suffering servant of Jesus and the character and the nature of Jesus, it needs to come upon our lives afresh. Amen? And we need to desire to serve people. This 2.30 service when Gable first started, it was all about serving. I don't know if it's still about serving, hallelujah. But it's all about the spirit of serving, putting others first. Why are these people welcoming you in the foyer? When people, why? Because they've got a passion to serve you. They've given up their time. Their time in Nando's during after 11 o'clock service, and they're here early praying to welcome you in. What's that? Serving. Hallelujah. Serving. Somebody heard that. Serving. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 3 verse says this. Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You started out, right? You started out surrendering all, but now you're back in the flesh again. And then in Galatians 5, verse 24, he says, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's a challenge. Jesus said to them in John's Gospel, chapter 6, he said, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. What? Drinking blood? Eating flesh, forget that. I don't do eating flesh ministries. I don't do that. I'm not going to drink any blood. What was Jesus really saying? He says, unless you believe in the cross. 
Unless you partake of the communion table, unless you partake of the blood and the bread of the Lord, you're not a Christian. Unless you embrace the cross, unless you embrace what Christ has done, because it's that which offends you. Jesus' blood offends the world. Oh, it's a bloody religion, they say. Without the blood, you cannot be saved. Without the blood of Jesus, without the remission of the blood of Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sins. So we need to embrace the blood. I'm not talking that you need to go out there and start drinking blood. I'm not saying you need to start painting blood all over London. Symbolically, yes. But people are offended at the blood of Jesus. And number five, as we come to a close today, the cross casts out the devil, hallelujah, and breaks down his stronghold on the world. The cross confronts the enemy's system in the world. What's behind the Greek mind, the Jewish mind, the humanistic mind, all these other religions, Islam? What's behind, what's really behind these, these faces of society, these strongholds in society? I tell you, it's the devil. It's principalities and powers and theories and ideologies that are against the cross and are against Christ. They're an antichrist system. And thank God, in the gospel of 1 John, it says that the Son of God was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the evil one. So the cross, what's the cross done? It's destroyed the works of the evil one. It's brought down the temple and the institution of mankind. When Jesus cried out on the cross, what happened? The veil of the temple was torn in two and there was a massive earthquake. What does that signify? It signifies that God on the cross was breaking the power of religious institutions. You don't follow religious institutions and, and theories anymore. What you believe is the cross of Christ. That's what you believe now. You believe in Jesus. So the, the, the devil is cast out, hallelujah. In Colossians 2, we read earlier that the devil is disarmed, he's defeated, and he's driven out by the cross. Disarmed, defeated, and driven out by the cross of Christ. The blood is the propitiation. It's forgiveness, it's redemption, it's justification. It's cleansing, it's peace, and it gives us access into the Holy of Holies. The blood destroys the power of the devil from our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads in prayer right now if the keyboard player can come. Revelation says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Thank you, Sean. I can take that on the street, 4.15. That's in a few minutes. Now, there's many other things that I could have said today that are in my notes. And if you want my notes, I'll give you a copy if you want. But right now, the most important decision, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus. So bow your head in prayer right now. Every Christian praying. Every Christian praying. I want to hear the purring, Lord, of, of people interceding for the lost. I want to hear the purring of a generation who groan inwardly to see a soul saved. I want to see, Lord God, a bunch of people in KT and the church who are on their knees before the cross, symbolically speaking, coming to the cross again and saying, God, we need you in this city. We need the cross back in this city. Even though the cross is an offense, we need to cross back in society again, Lord. We need the cross at the center of our lives, breaking up our pride, breaking up our flesh, breaking up our mind, breaking up all our theories, our 
ideals, Lord, our culture. Father God, you have challenged us to change our culture, change our identity, change the way we're living and come to the cross. Those of us who've made deals, contractual obligations and saying, God, I'll follow you if these things are in the contract. We tear up that contract today. We tear it up and say, God, we don't want to make any deals anymore. We want to crucify the flesh with passions and desires. We want to embrace you again. And if there's a fence in our lives because you asked us to change, maybe there's some people in this place that God's asked you to change. He's asked you to change a behavior. He's asked you to change your job. He's asked you to, to maybe even get out of London and go somewhere else. But you've disobeyed. You've become offended at God. You said, no, I want to stay where I am. You need to come to the cross. You need to come back to the cross right now and give that offense to God and let God heal you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're in this place today and you're not a Christian and you don't know Jesus, I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now to believe in him. And I'm gonna pray a prayer where every head is bowed and every eye is closed. to believe in the cross and to believe in Jesus, to know the Son is the greatest decision that you could ever make. It's not a decision to be taken lightly. You need to be ready. But as soon as you make that decision, know this, you're transported from your destination of hell and you're transported into your destination, which your final destination will be heaven. You're changed by God. It's a supernatural experience. And how does that happen? Number one, admit that you need God. Admit that you're a sinner. Repent of your Greek mind. Say, God, forgive me. And second, believe in Christ. Believe in the cross. Believe that he rose again on the third day and declare him as the Lord of your life, that you're not Lord anymore, but Jesus is Lord. I'm gonna pray this prayer. And if you want Jesus in your life, you need his forgiveness. You pray this prayer in your heart right now. Say, Father God, I come before you right now and I recognize that without you, I'm a sinner and I'm lost. I'm going the wrong way. Today, I make a decision to turn around. I need your forgiveness. I need your help. Forgive me of pride. I need you. I come to the cross right now. And I crucify myself. And today I believe in Jesus. I believe he rose again on the third day. And today I choose to follow you. I want to be your disciple, Lord. I surrender my all to you. Thank you, Lord, for accepting me. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer from your heart, you need forgiveness, I want to pray with you right now. And I'm going to ask you, if you're serious with God, you need His forgiveness, just lift your hand high right now, and I'm going to pray for you in this place as we conclude this service at the 2.30. Lift your hand high right now. If you need Jesus in your life, lift it high right now. Thank you. Lift it high. You know when you lift the hand, you don't lift it to me, you lift it to God. You say, God, I need your forgiveness. I need your help. If you want to recommit your life to God today, you need Him in your life, lift your hand high right now. You want to recommit your life to Jesus. Oh, and if you're to die right now, you're not even sure you'd make it into heaven. Maybe you've got one foot in, one foot out. That's you. You lift your hand high right now because I want to pray for you. Father God, for every single person who's lifted their hand, God, I ask you right now in the name of Jesus, this is the day of change, this is the day of demarcation, this is the cross that's in the sand and say, hey, you've got to change. And today they've lifted their hand and say, I want to change. So Father God, I ask you, make them born again. I pray you'll change them. 
He'll not just be a decision, but they'll be a disciple. They'll move forward with you. They'll join a cell group and they'll become passionate Father. In Jesus' name. Now let's all stand in this place right now. Let's give Jesus praise. Hallelujah. Let's give Jesus praise for the cross. Let's give Jesus praise for the cross right now. Hallelujah. Now lift your hand as we conclude. Lift your hand in this place. I don't know about you, but when I was doing this, I started to think about the cross. And as you lift your hands, I want you to think about what the cross means to you. Two types of people, those who are offended or those who glory. You once was offended, then you were glorying. But are you still glorying in the cross? Father, as we lift our hands and we think about the cross, we don't want to just celebrate the cross because it's Easter and it's something to do. Father, we pray that the cross will be real to our lives in the name of Jesus. Father God, if we have got a bit more crucifying to do, a bit more changing to do, then we bring ourselves afresh to the cross. If we're not living in the revelation of the cross when we preach to people, if it's just about love and blessing, help us to bring the cross in. Some people out there won't, won't come to faith unless they hear about the cross. So Father, give us a fresh revelation of how to effectively share this message of the cross with people. For the message of the cross is foolishness to this world, but us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you guys as you leave today. Amen, we're five minutes over. But if you're here for the first time, amen. If you're here for the first time, come and say hi to us. There'll be a welcome team here to receive you. If you've got any questions, I'll be here at the platform as well for a few moments. Don't forget at the 5 p.m. teaching service, Bruce will be teaching on Israel and the Bible. And also, you can go downstairs if you are stirred today and you want to get involved in the evangelism. Sean and a few of the leaders and Brett will be downstairs at 4.15. And you can go out in the streets tonight and invite people to come and join us for the evening service as well. God bless you.